Let me invite you to turn in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 9. And, and as you're turning, uh, let me remind that uh, parents are invited to dismiss their children ages 4 to 6 for children's worship training. The children will come back at about noon. And uh, you are free to do that if you wish, or you may keep your children uh, there in the seat near you uh, as we together turn uh, to Hebrews chapter 9 and gather together around this portion of God's Word. When our senior pastor is out of the pulpit on Sunday morning, we pause in the series uh, that we normally partake of. Just now he's in the Gospel of Luke. And uh, whenever I'm substituting in the mornings, I pick up Hebrews. So we're on Hebrews chapter 9 uh, in that other um, uh, walk through a text of Scripture, serial expository preaching. Uh, Hear the Word of God inspired and inerrant. Now, even the first covenant had regulations for worship and an earthly place of holiness. For a tent was prepared in the first section in which were the lampstand and the table and the bread of the presence. It is called the holy place. Behind the second curtain was a second section called the most holy place, having the golden altar of incense the Ark of the Covenant covered on all sides with gold, in which was a golden urn uh, holding the manna, and Aaron's staff that budded, and the tablets of the covenant. Above it were the cherubim of glory, overshadowing the mercy seat. Of these things we cannot now speak in detail. These preparations having thus been made, the priests go regularly into the first section performing their ritual duties. But into the second, only the high priest goes, and he but once a year, and not without taking blood, which he offers for himself and for the unintentional sins of the people. By this, the Holy Spirit indicates that the way into the holy places is not yet opened as long as the first section is still standing which is symbolic for the present age. According to this arrangement, gifts and sacrifices are offered that cannot perfect the conscience of the worshiper, that deal only with food and drink and various washings, regulations for the body imposed until the time of Reformation. But when Christ appeared as high priest of good things that have come, Then through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is, not of this creation, he entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an internal redemption. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer sanctify for the perfection of the flesh or purification of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God. Therefore, he is the mediator of a new covenant, so that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance. Since a death has occurred, 
that redeems them from the transgressions committed under the first covenant. For where, where a will is involved, the death of the one who made it must be established. For a will takes effect only at death, since it is not in force as long as the one who made it is alive. Therefore, not even the first covenant was inaugurated without blood. For when every commandment of the law had been declared by Moses to all the people, he took the blood of calves and goats with water and scarlet wool and hyssop and sprinkled both the book itself and all the people, saying, This is the blood of the covenant that God commanded for you. And in the same way, he sprinkled with the blood both the tent and all the vessels used in worship. Indeed, under the law, almost everything is purified with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. Thus, it was necessary for the copies of the heavenly things to be purified with these rites. But the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. For Christ has entered not into holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true things, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. Nor was it to offer himself repeatedly as the high priest enters the holy places every year with blood not his own. For then he would have to suffer repeatedly since the foundation of the world. But as it is, he has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself And just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment, so Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. Amen. May God bless that reading of his word to our hearts and lives. Let's pray together. Let us pray. Oh, our Father and our God, we ask that you would be here with us now in power by your Holy Spirit. Your Spirit carried along the prophets and apostles of old. You inspired this book. These words are words that you have given through them. And we ask, O oh Lord, that that same Holy Spirit would now come and in power illumine those words, applying them to our hearts and lives shaping us more and more into the image of Christ. May we come to know him and to love him all the more. And we will give you all the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, in my closet, I have two pairs of shoes. Maybe you have two pairs like mine in yours. One pair is old and worn and comfortable. My feet fit in them perfectly. My toes, they know every hole in those shoes. They are my delight. The other is a new pair. You know, I wore out the first, and L.L. Bean sent me an exact copy. Uh, Another set, another pair, just like the earlier one that I wore through. They're nice. They're crisp. 
They look sharp. Actually, they look good because they are so good. They're new. And it's proper to wear them. My feet are still working to break them in. They will be tomorrow's delight. Now, our text this morning isn't about shoes, but it is about the old and the new. About the old covenant, the old Mosaic covenant, and the new covenant fulfilled in Christ Jesus, our Lord. So it's not shoes that are on display, it's covenants that are on display. And that can be hard for us to grasp. Did you know that in our country, the most common name of a Presbyterian church is either Trinity Presbyterian or it's Covenant Presbyterian? And the sad fact of the matter is, is if you tap the average person on the pew in those places and said, describe for me the Trinity, you, you wouldn't get much of a response back in great detail. And, and if you said, define a covenant, they might not know that it's a bond and blood sovereignly administered. And that there are lots of them in the Old Testament, a covenant of works, and then the beginning of the covenant of grace, and, and there's a covenant with our first father Adam, and there's a covenant with Noah, and there's a covenant with uh, Abraham, Father Abraham, and a covenant with Moses, as we're reading of now, and a covenant with David, and all of those manifestations of the covenant of grace reach their peak and their fulfillment in the new covenant. They all find their purpose and meaning in Jesus Christ our Lord. The old Mosaic covenant began in Egypt, and it thundered from Sinai as they entered the promised land. Its terms and conditions given by the Holy Spirit through inspiration through his prophet Moses. There was law and there were requirements and there were obligations. There was also worship. There was an earthly tabernacle, much complexity and obedience that was required. But all of that old pointed forward to something better still. And so let's gather around Hebrews chapter 9. Let's gather around this text and learn from the Word of God that the old Mosaic covenant is fulfilled in the new by Jesus Christ our Lord. It's fulfilled in the new in Christ. Well, the opening thing which we're taught in this chapter is that we should not forget the old Mosaic covenant. Now, that may sound like a mundane or strange thing to a, to a Reformed audience to say, but you know, in American evangelicalism, there are plenty of people, well-intended, that want to take their Bibles and tear them in half and throw the Old Testament part away. But here the author of the epistle to the Hebrews is saying, no, don't throw away the Old Testament Mosaic Covenant. Learn from it. There's so much here that you can learn for your Christian life. We don't even have to look at particular words to see this. Just the bulk of material here that is drawn from the old Mosaic covenant bears testimony. We read, now even the first covenant had regulations for worship and an earthly place of holiness. For a tent was prepared, the first section in which were the lampstand and the table and the bread of the presence. It is called the holy place. And it goes on to explain in great detail something about the Old Testament Mosaic Covenant worship practices that were required. 
You see, Mosaic legislation was very detailed. It was very exacting. It set up a requirement that the people of God recognize that the Lord had made them to have a covenant relationship with Him. That's why all that discussion of blood and and the the sprinkling or or slinging of the blood with a branch and, and, and little drops falling upon their faces, upon their own heads and that of their children and upon the the tabernacle and upon the furniture in the tabernacle and even upon the very written word of God. God established a covenant, a relationship with his people. And that binding obligation with uh, requirements on the one hand and, and the holding out of blessings on the other, that relationship was one that, that the children of Israel were bound to keep. It had its earthly tent or tabernacle. This morning we find ourselves worshiping in a much a much nicer environment than they were. They, they had curtains up on poles. They, they had embroidery uh, that had been accomplished in just the way God had commanded with certain symbols. Uh, they had pieces of furniture that were gilded with gold. They had... Uh, a candle holder and candles. They, they had a table on which bread was placed to remind them of God as their provision and His presence among them. You can look around your sanctuary today and, and you don't have all of this Old Testament symbolism because the shadow has gone away. The full noon daylight of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ has come. And you don't need to light a candle. You can say a prayer, and that prayer directly is heard in the name of Christ our Lord by our Heavenly Father who's above. And He sends His Holy Spirit to dwell in us and among us, to prompt us to pray, to call us to His Word, not just to cheer our hearts or stir our emotions, but to more tightly bind us and and unite us to Christ our Lord, we enjoy the blessings and benefits of union and communion with Him. And we have air conditioning. We have a parking lot. We have modern day accoutrements in this place of meeting where we assemble together and worship the Lord. Oh, there was an earthly tent or tabernacle of old. And our our worship, we... We worship without this this shadowy form and all of its complex obligation. We have cushy worship. We have worship directly rather than indirectly uh, as we do in Christ Jesus our Lord. But all of that Old Testament shadow is not useless. It served a very important purpose. It was like a sign that pointed from one place to another. It pointed forward in time to the promised fulfillment that was to come in Jesus Christ, our Lord. It's just like when you get on I-10. You know, when you wake up in that great nightmare of traffic in the afternoon and you're stuck downtown and and you're just longing to make it on to I-10 and follow the signs and sail to the promised land of Katy. Yes, Houston's nice, but the traffic's better in Katy. It's less chaotic in Katy. It's closer to home and and to family and to supper in Katy. In the Old Testament, in the Old Covenant Mosaic, 
time, in that covenant, they enjoyed a shadow form that pointed to the greater reality that was the fulfillment of what they possessed. You know, it's nice to to enjoy the promise. It's nice to enjoy something that points to something else, but sometimes it's better to possess the real thing itself. You know, you could, uh, you could sign up for a class at the local community college in nutrition. And you could go and sit in on lectures about the nutrition and dietetic benefit of T-bone steak. Uh, you could learn about marbling and about how to carve the meat and, and the best and most appropriate way to cook it on, on a fire of just the right temperature. You could lean, learn all of these things from PowerPoint and videos, and, and you would know something. Or you can do what we did the other day. Uh, we celebrated uh, Arthur John's graduation from high school. Uh, we asked him where he wanted to go, and for a brief moment he pulled our leg when he said, Taco Bell. And then finally he came clean and he said, Well, Daddy, I'd, I'd like to go to Saltgrass. And there we didn't get dietetical theory we got a big, fat, juicy steak put right down in front of us. The smell was something you could never behold in a lecture. Uh, The texture as you cut it, the pleasure of just cutting the meat even, let you know that, that poking and placing the substance in your mouth was much better than all the theory and pointing to what was greater still. Oh, the earthly tabernacle was great as far as it went. It was a necessary preparation. It was a condescension and accommodation of God to the weakness of our human minds, to the weakness of our human condition, for our need to take baby steps in understanding the fullness of redemption in Christ Jesus our Lord. It pointed to something greater still. But you know, considered all by itself in isolation, it fell far short. The Old Testament Mosaic Covenant, at least as we isolate and look at the different aspects of the tent and of the candle stand and of the other furniture and the priesthood and the garments that they wore and the embroidery and even the symbolism All of that was nice. And and the laws and rituals about cleansing and sprinkling and, and immersing, all of these things were helpful and cleansed the flesh, but they didn't deal ultimately and finally with our consciences. Look at verse 9. According to this arrangement, gifts and sacrifices are offered that cannot perfect the conscience of the worshiper, but deal only with food and drink and various washings, regulations for the body imposed until the time of reformation. If you had been an Old Testament Jew, if you had lived among the people of God as a part of that family called out from the world, if you had been a son or a daughter of Abraham at the time of Moses, you would have been fascinated by all of the ritual and all of the complexity and drama of it. 
And when you sinned, you, you would have had blood sprinkled upon you on the outside, the, the blood of bulls and goats. And, and, and even when you had brought a turtle dove, even when you had brought a lamb, there to be sacrificed on the altar in the ritual way required, you would have been left longing for something more in your inward parts because all of the outward order could not relieve the guilt of conscience in and of itself. Only as the sacrifice and the ritual system pointed to and fulfilled in Christ Jesus our Lord could your conscience be satisfied and could you go to sleep at night with your head upon the pillow, rejoicing for the blessings and benefits that you have in Jesus. Old Testament saints found their consciences even bearing witness to their need of fulfillment of these symbols in the Savior to come, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And as they trusted in Him, as they looked and longed for Him, not as they mechanically went through the motions, not as they just mechanically took the required offering, but as they looked to God their Savior to provide a Messiah for them who would cleanse them from sin, then they were truly born again and they found peace in their souls. Oh, the difference between the outward and the ritual and the inward reality is just like your wedding. Have you been to a wedding? Have you experienced a wedding? You know, marriage is not summed up. The essence of all of marriage is not found in the ritual ceremony. You can stand up and take vows. Uh, you can wear a white dress or or you can show up with a, with a sharp tux and a best man in tow and the finest ring in town. Uh, you can say, I do, and you can walk down the aisle, but that outward formal ceremony is not the essence of the reality of marriage. That will come later. That will come later in all those days where you live out that vow, where you experience the blessing and benefit of that covenant relationship. And so too, the conscience of Old Testament uh, members of Israel were left needing and longing for the fulfillment of what they enjoyed in Christ Jesus our Lord. The outward and the formal are not enough. You also need to remember the new covenant of God. Now the new covenant is not all new. The new covenant is built upon the old because the old points forward and finds its fulfillment in the new. And both the old Mosaic covenant and the new covenant in Christ, the new covenant of the gospel, they are both part of the one unfolding covenant of grace. But there's a contrast in, in how worship is ultimately accomplished in the Old Covenant, there's this earthly tabernacle. But in the New Covenant, there is the tabernacle or the temple in heaven above. Verse 11 says, But when Christ appeared as high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with human hands, that is not of this creation, He entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of bulls and goats, 
or goats and calves, but by his own blood, thus securing eternal redemption. The temple or tabernacle above is the place where Christ, having accomplished our salvation, having given himself as the incarnate Son of God, the second person of the Trinity, as a sacrifice for our sins. On Calvary, he propitiated the wrath of God and he presented himself in his offering after his ascension in the very throne room of God in heaven. In that place of substance above of which the earthly tabernacle and temple were but a shadow, he presented himself and did business with us for God and so our salvation was accomplished in him. You see, that's the real place. That's the place of substance that matters. It's so hard for us to grasp that at times because we sometimes make the foolish modern assumption, don't we? That all that we see is all that there is. But in the Old Testament Mosaic Covenant, what you could see and touch and handle, even the priests that you could hold on to and shake, that priest was but a signpost pointing to the greater reality in Christ our Lord. He is the real priest. He is our real great high priest. And so he entered the real tabernacle, the real temple, which is where God himself is above. And there he presented himself as having accomplished our salvation. He intercedes for us. And we receive because of that ascension and enthronement of God incarnate, the sacrifice for sins, every blessing from heaven in our Christian lives. Oh, it's important to not forget the old Mosaic covenant and to remember and hold firm to its fulfillment in the new that we might know a sacrifice that cleanses from conscience, not just the flesh, in the matters that we need before God. Verse 13 says, For if the blood of bulls and goats and the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer sanctify for the purification of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, through, who through the eternal Spirit offered Himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God? And so He comes and He identifies with us by taking on flesh and tabernacling among us. He substitutes for us in our relationship with God. And all through His life, He works in perfect obedience. Every step He takes, every breath He takes, every step He makes, He walks according to the law of God, fulfilling all of the old covenant obligation as well as all the moral law of God for us. And He gives Himself as a sacrifice on the tree. He is nailed to that cross and His blood is shed as He atones for our sins. He reconciles us with the Father. The wrath of God, the righteous wrath of God against us and our sins being satisfied, being even propitiated because of who He is and what He does for us. And we enjoy the blessings and benefits of fellowship with Him. 
and union and communion with Him on a daily basis. We can rise from our beds, we can fall to our knees, and we can pray, Oh, my Father in heaven. And He hears you. He hears us. And He answers our prayers, yea and amen, in Christ Jesus our Lord. This is what we enjoy in the new covenant in its fulfillment because of Jesus Christ. And so, my friend, this morning, Hebrews chapter 9 calls you to see and know and feel that Jesus Christ is your only hope. He is your only mediator. Verse 15 says, Therefore, He is the mediator of a new covenant, so that those who are called may receive the promised inheritance eternal, since a death has occurred that redeems them from the transgressions committed under the first covenant. Sins under the first forgiven in the second. The old covenant cleansed the outside in its ritual form, but in substance, forgiveness for all comes in the new, even applied to those saints of old. Oh, Jesus is your mediator. And the unity of old and new is found in the unity of His person and of His work. He is the one Lord and Savior of all His people, the one Lord and Savior of the new covenant of grace. And so He is our sacrifice. You know, sin is a bad thing and it has a high price. Because of sin, God's covenant with us is costly. It cost Him the blood not of just animals, but it cost Him the blood of His own beloved Son. God blood must be shed to save sinners like us. And Jesus, who is both God and man, able to substitute for us and also save us from our sins, He died on that tree that we might live. And Jesus is also our Savior. He was offered for our sins. He was raised for our salvation. And we eagerly look and long and await His second coming when we will see Him face to face. Hebrews chapter 9 teaches us that the fulfillment of the old is found in the new in Christ Jesus our Lord. And all of Old Testament history and all of Old Testament theology points forward to Christ, points forward to the fulfillment of His covenant of grace in Jesus Christ our Lord. And so just this mediator must be your mediator Just this sacrifice must be your sacrifice. Just this Savior must be your Savior. Trust in Him. And you will be saved. Amen. Let us pray.